Eternal Entrepreneur, we believe faith comes by hearing, and so do business skills. You'll hear powerful stories and strategies to grow your business, directly from Christian leaders who have done it all before. Catch us on Mondays for lunch breaks, our bite-sized business series, and twice a month on Fridays for faith-inspiring interviews. Hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Eternal Entrepreneur. I am Pierce Brantley, along with my co-host, Joe Newton, and we could not be more excited to share our conversation today with Ed Rush. After two combat tours in Iraq, Ed left full-time active duty to speak, write, and share a message that would change the world. Ed's clients range from small startups to multinational, multi-million organizations and include CEOs, political leaders, sports teams, national universities, and Hollywood stars. His expertise is featured on CBS, Fox, and ABC. Ed, it is awesome to have the real deal on our podcast. Uh, Welcome to The Eternal Entrepreneur. Yeah, what's up, boys? It's awesome, man. You're the highlight of my week. So we're we're (laughs) recording this on a Thursday, and I've been looking forward to this. I've been downstairs in the basement doing push-ups and pounding coffee for the last five hours. So I'm ready to rock and roll, man. (laughs) No pressure, though. No pressure. Hey, Ed, we like to start off by getting a little context for our guest as far as what your journey was into entrepreneurship. Can you give us a little insight into how you ended up uh, owning a business? Yeah. The first thing you should know is I'm a person that failed kindergarten. I'm not proud of that fact. In fact, my daughter just recently graduated from kindergarten with honors. But the reason I say that is we all have a place that we start. And I started by doing kindergarten twice. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I've always had to learn things by following successful people. And I eventually graduated from kindergarten, eventually even graduated from college. And I went into the Marine Corps on a whim, ended up flying F-18s, And when I got in the Marines and started flying airplanes, I was actually really good. I didn't know that I was going to be really good. I finished first in my boot camp class, and then I finished first in my infantry class, and then I finished first in ground school, and then I finished first in primary flight school, then I finished first in intermediate flight school, and then advanced flight school. And things were going great until I hit my first squadron, which is actually here right where I live here in San Diego, my first squadron here at Miramar. And I don't know if you ever experienced this before, but have you ever had one of those moments where you're good at something, you start feeling like, oh man, you're feeling your oats, sowing your oats a little bit. And then you show up at a place where you realize maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. That was my entrance into the Marine Corps fighter squadron, my squadron VMFA 242, the BATS, uh, right here at Miramar. And I showed up and there's a, everybody knows there's a rank structure in the military. So when you show up at a squadron, there's the rank structure. You've got a commanding officer who's a lieutenant colonel and an executive office officer who's a lieutenant colonel. Then you get a bunch of majors and then some captains. And I was a first lieutenant. So from the low end of the totem pole when it comes to pilots. But what most people don't know is that in a Marine Corps fighter squadron, there's a second rank structure. And that rank structure is who's the best. Now, that's not listed anywhere. It's not like there's a, a score chart or anything like you saw in the movie Top Gun. But everyone knows. Everyone knows who the best pilot is. And everyone knows who the worst pilot is and everyone knows where they're at in between. And when I showed up at my squadron, we, we do dog fights, one against one combat where we'll go out against another airplane and we'll just fight it out. And you always have a winner. You always have a loser. And the winner is the one who's shooting the loser, basically. So if you're looking in front of you at an airplane, uh, you're winning typically. And if you're looking behind you at another airplane, you're losing. And what I found when I first joined my squadron is I was getting beat and beat and beat. And oh my goodness, it was just like a revelatory moment for me. And I, mean, I thought I was so good. You think you're the second coming of Iceman from Top Gun. He's got ice water in his veins. And I just kept getting embarrassed, frankly. I was getting beat over and over and over again. And 
I'm a very competitive person. I didn't enjoy my pride of being insulted the way it was, even though I think it was probably good for me in the long run to get a dose of reality. And so what I did in that moment was I started to train myself. Now we have a simulator building here in Miramar and that simulator building is open from nine in the morning till nine at night. You can get into the trainers and work, work it out a little bit. The problem was access to those was based on your rank again. So the higher ranking people could always get in and the lower ranking people like me couldn't. But what I realized was that on one day, on Friday in particular, from five o'clock in the afternoon till nine at night, it was totally open. And that's because on Friday afternoons, you Marines, we drink a lot. That's basically the, the gist of it. So it was always open. So I went in there and I just started to drill. I would practice flying a perfect turn. And in the F-18, a perfect turn is at 307 knots, not 305, not 310, 307. So I practiced flying a perfect turn. Then I would blindfold myself and I would locate all the switches, knobs, and dials by feel, not by sight. And I knew because the F-18 turns at 60 degrees per second, I knew that if I could gain just a second of advantage, that's that's 20 degrees. That's a big, or 60 degrees. That's one third of the way, I should say, to, to a win, which is 180 degrees. And I trained and I drilled and I trained and I drilled and I practiced and I tried. And within three years of me entering my squadron, not only was I one of the best pilots in my squadron, I had actually just graduated from Top Gun, the place after the movie. I was on my way to becoming the leading instructor in the Marine Corps for one against one dogfighting. So I went from being literally the worst to one of the best in three short years. And it's not because of intelligence or uh, even necessarily because of effort. It was because I learned to practice doing the right things over and over again until they became habit. And so I left the Marine Corps back in 2006, started businesses. And I took that knowledge of what it takes to be able to find the right things and then execute them in a systematic pattern or to do them over and over again. I built two successful businesses, very successful, that were primarily online product businesses. And then I started getting asked to go speak. And when I would speak, what, ha what happened was I'd come off stage, I'd stand up on the stage and tell people, here's what I'm doing in my business. And, and I was mostly speaking to entrepreneurs and I would come off stage, not realizing that I was one of the only people actually doing the things I was teaching. And I would have this long line of people and those people would say, Hey, could I take you to lunch? So I could pick your brain. That's how they always ask that question. And I was like, wow, that would be great if you could take me to lunch and pick my brain. And so I entered a new period in my life, which I called free lunch lessons. This is where I was giving people advice for free. And I don't know if you've ever given free advice before, but nobody ever does. Nobody ever implements free advice. It's like my friend, Joe Polish says, if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. So I did that for a while. Then I realized I should probably char start charging money for this. So I charged $2,500. Then I charged $5,500. Then it was $10,000. Then it was 12. Then it was 15. Then it was 25. And next thing charging between 25 and $70,000 to work one-on-one -on -one with clients. I've had clients pay me seven figures. Literally. I've had plenty of people in the six figure range. I've got several clients like that now and was able to do really was to take those principles I learned in the cockpit about discipline and the fundamentals and learning how to repeat success over and over again, and then bring them into the client sphere. And really what I do now is I help business owners. I've had over 462 one-on-one -on -one clients that I've worked with. I've written some books along the way that became very popular. I speak around the world and I have a blast just sharing this message with entrepreneurs because I think the world turns right now, frankly, on entrepreneurship. Our success or failure as a world is going to depend on great entrepreneurs uh, uh, like you, Joe, and Pierce taking the reins and really making the kind of change that we want in the world. So I've been thrilled to make a lot of money, but also to have an impact and to be able to do it 
and create a lifestyle that I can be really, really peaceful in as well. Yeah, there's the short version. I love it, Ed. One of the things that I value so much about what you teach and share is you've made discipline. I feel like a lot of times when you hear that, it's this high pressure word. I need to get myself disciplined. But like with your book, 21 Day Miracle, you make it simple and practical. And also you allow room in there. Our podcast, we're heavily focused on how do we partner with God, but you allow room to be able to let God speak. So I'm real curious for you, how have you started to learn how to partner with God, yet be very disciplined with setting goals, milestones, and accomplishing what you've set out to do? Yeah, interesting. Embedded in your question are two fundamental core concepts that exist together, but most people don't believe they exist together. You mentioned the Holy Spirit, right? I think it's Galatians 5 that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Okay, There's the Holy Spirit that there's freedom. <clears throat> but at the same time, you have, for example, this discussion of Paul talking about how he beats his body into submission so that he would be proven uh, faithful. Or, for example, I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, maybe, or 12, that talks about no father will leave his son undisciplined. Maybe that's Hebrews 12. Anyway, the reference is escaping me. But my point is, you have this discussion of discipline, and then you have this discussion of freedom. And most people, especially in our culture, juxtapose those two. So you either have discipline, or you have freedom, but you can't have both. But if you understand discipline the way you discipline really is, you can understand that discipline actually is the is the the seed that you put into the ground to grow freedom. So for example, I have four kids, but I have two boys. And so my two boys, and I'm using them as an example of discipline because my kids are, my boys are 14 and 12. And boys at 14 and 12 need a little discipline. They need a father's hand to be able to guide them in the right direction. Now, if I'm still doing that when they're 25, we've got an issue. There's this transfer that happens, especially in their teens, where you're actually hoping that your training will lead them to begin to discipline themselves. I just had this conversation with my boys the other day where I said, look, up until now, we've been telling you, hey, did you do the, your chores today? Did you do the dishes? Did you do the hand wash? The things that you already know you're supposed to do every day. I said, from now on, I want you to initiate that. I want you to start doing that on your own. In other words, I don't want to have to remind you. That's just discipline. That's just training. And at some point, you want them to be able to do it themselves. So take, for example, something like the way you think about yourself. One of the things that fascinates me is how entrepreneurs think about themselves. I will hear people who I consider some of the most powerful, insightful thought leaders in the world who will say things like, I'm just a person just a guy, I'm just, I'm like, you're not at just anything or they'll, or they'll say to me, sometimes Ed, sometimes I feel like a novice. I'm like, whoa, whoa what? I'm talking about people who've written best-selling books, New York times, best-selling books. And wait, you feel like a novice? Like you're saying that to yourself, this idea of discipline actually starts with the communication that you're having with yourself in your brain. What it creates for you though, is it creates freedom. It creates a sense of autonomy. And I will tell you that of the values in my business, the number one value is honoring God through ethics and morality. In other words, doing what I say that I'm going to do. Right behind that, frankly, is autonomy. I've built my business to create the kind of freedom or autonomy that I desire in business. Because the truth is, when you're at the level that you guys are at or where I'm at, it's we're not in a hours in, dollars out scenario anymore. If you work in a Starbucks, 
or 7-Eleven. By the way, there's nothing wrong with those careers. If you're working there, you're going to work hours and you're going to get dollars. It's just the transactional nature of that business. If you're an entrepreneur, that gets thrown out the window really quickly. But most entrepreneurs bring that mindset that hours in, dollars out. So what you end up with is entrepreneurs that are working way too much, working, frankly, way too hard for way too little result, but it's because of the way they think. Yeah, you can take these two things. It's a very wise question you asked, Joe. You could take these two things, discipline and, and freedom, and actually put them together because they they are a, two sides of the same coin, if you want, or the analogy that I use is you put discipline in the ground and it grows freedom. So there's another way to look at it. I want to dig into something that you, you said there, at least I, I felt like you started to touch on getting paid your time versus getting paid for the value that you bring. Big message that y- you preach. Can you help people to know a little bit further the differentiation between that mindset and how do they start to transition themselves and their business from hours to value? Yeah, the way that I describe this. So there's there's three stages that every entrepreneur or that every entrepreneur should take. Not everyone takes this, but there's basically three stages. But I'll actually take it back to the cockpit. So there's three stages every pilot takes too. Stage number one of a young pilot is I screw everything up and I have no idea why. Okay. That's stage one. We all go through as pilots. I've almost killed myself a lot. And most of that was in stage one. Stage number two as a pilot is I still screw everything up, but now I know why. And stage three is I start to see my screw ups ahead of time and I avoid them by making a better decision around them. Okay. And as an entrepreneur, there's also three stages. Those three stages just mirror, mirror the entrepreneurial stages, but there's the other three stages as an entrepreneur go like this stage one, I'm getting paid for what I do. Stage two, I'm getting paid for what I know. And stage three is I'm getting paid for who I am. Okay. So let me put this in context. Henry Kissinger, who used to be Secretary of State under Richard Nixon and several other presidents, when he retired as Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger was getting paid roughly a quarter million dollars to put people together over dinner. Okay. So for example, he would find a person who had a piece, large piece of land in the Middle East, and then he had a CEO of an oil company. And the CEO of the oil company wanted to meet that person. That person wanted to meet this person. So Henry Kissinger would invite both of them to dinner and they would pay him a quarter million dollars each to sit down at dinner with Henry Kissinger. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody wanted to pay me a quarter million dollars for dinner, I'd be interested in that dinner. I might even pick up the check. So that's an example. That's an extreme example, but that's an example of getting paid for who you are. You and I both know that if you called, for example, Warren Buffett and said, hey, you want to hook up this weekend? You want to go grab a bite? He probably wouldn't be interested in that unless there was some sort of transaction attached to that. And so that's an, those are extreme examples of getting paid for who you are. But see, most entrepreneurs stay in this realm of getting paid for what you do. This is, the, this is where the concept of leverage comes into play. And I mentioned earlier the ranges of numbers that people have paid me. twenty-five dollars to $70,000 often are my initial deal or my initial transaction. I've had people pay me commissions of six figures and seven figures. Okay. Now to make that kind of money, you need to be pushing a lever that is so much bigger than the time that you've put into it. This week, I did a copywriting project for a client of mine. This client is well into the seven to eight figure range. They have a very successful business with a lot of leads and a lot of transactions. So if I can simply bump their conversions of their business from maybe 1% to 2%, that can potentially double their income. So if they're making, I don't know, for example, $300,000 a month in, in, in gross revenue, 
and I can bump conversions from 1% to 2%, I could take a $300,000 business to 500 or 600,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money per month, but that's a lot of money per year. If you bump a business from 300 to 600 a month, that's $3.6 million a year. So if they pay me theoretically $150,000 for me to bump those conversions, it's a great deal for them. Oh, and by the way, it's a really great deal for me. They're paying me 124th of whatever they're growing and I'm making quite a bit of money for a little bit of time. Now, let's theoretically say it takes me two hours, maybe three. In this particular instance, it probably took me three or four hours to be able to create that kind of change. For three or four hours of work, I'm bringing in another $150,000. So wait a second, you're telling me you're getting paid like $35,000, $37,000 an hour? Now, if I came to that client in the beginning of our relationship and, I, and he said, how does this work? And I said, well, you pay me $37,000 an hour. He would go, that's crazy. Why would I ever pay anybody $37,000 an hour? Which is the reason why my transaction with them didn't come down to hours. My transaction had to do with the results. And so when you're getting paid for what you know or what you are, you're getting paid for the result in the person's life or the business or the result of the message that you're sharing or whatever it is in the business model that you're in. Most entrepreneurs, though, hold over to that old model, getting paid for what you do. That's the reason why most entrepreneurs have maybe about 100 things you're doing that you're not sure which ones are working or which ones aren't. And then you have another 100 things you feel guilty about not doing. People come to me all the time, Ed, should I be on Pinterest? And should I be on Instagram? And oh my gosh, I haven't done Facebook ads for a while. I'm like, maybe you shouldn't do any of that stuff. Maybe you should give all of that up and focus on this one area. And there's other entrepreneurs that are focusing on this area that I'm like, do you need to get into Facebook ads? Because every business is different. But my point is there's leverage points for each business. And when you start to push those levers properly, what you find is that three things happen. Number one, you start making more, which is a wonderful thing. Okay. I've been rich and I've been poor uh, and all things being equal. It's better being rich, okay? Because at least you can go to the store, buy dinner, okay? So you make more money. Number two, you have a bigger impact, which most entrepreneurs want to have a bigger impact in the world. It's great. It's one of the reasons that makes us entrepreneurs. And number three, it creates more freedom. When you have leverage, you get more money, more impact, and more freedom, and the world becomes a much, much better place. Ed, I love that breakdown. Super helpful, super concise. And our listeners can't see Ed right now, but He's so relaxed in his discipline and in his freedom and his understanding. You would think the opposite, but it's really cool to see you embody what you're, what you're speaking <laughs> on because you, you can tell. That. It's interesting. So there's a lot of military guys out there in the speaking and training and consulting world. And they're great guys. Don't get me wrong. The message though does tend to be a little get up earlier, harder, <laughs> bust it, like really bust it. And, and I really, I totally did that. I, I'm not saying that I didn't, but then I realized we're not, as believers, we're not called to strife. We're not called, and, and we're not called to stress either. And this is, this is really important. Your body and your mind respond a lot better in peace and mm. rest, okay? And that is true as an entrepreneur and it's true on the cockpit of an F-18. When I was at, at the top of my game, as a Marine pilot, you, if you tracked my heart rate in the cockpit, you would have seen a cool, calm, collected customer. When I first started learning how to fly the airplane, I was all over the place. And so there's something about the peace that just allows your mind the freedom to be able to think of new things and to start to create new things. And yeah, I do. I live what I, I live, what I teach. So I don't work that much. I don't work at nights and barely ever on the weekends, unless I have an event or I'm speaking uh, at an event participate in my family's life. I spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation and thinking, and I practice essentially what, what I preach because the truth is if I 
didn't do what I'm teaching, then how would I, how would anyone even know that it, it worked? And it's strange because there are a lot of people out there who teach things they don't do. <laughs> it's very strange to me. But yeah, there's a lot of peace. There's a lot of peace that comes on the other end of that. Now, having said that piece of advice that I just gave right there can, has to be implemented by somebody with some emotional maturity. So if I told my uh, 13-year-old or my 14-year-old, if I said, look, you don't have to work very much and um, you should just relax. He's not going to be able to take that and implement it well, because to him, that means like video games or something. Okay. And so I could give that advice to somebody who's emotionally immature and it would completely fall flat because the truth is it needs to be laid over a foundation of that kind of discipline. Okay. So for example, for a business owner, this is what discipline is. You need to generate new leads. You need to generate new customers. You have to have some cash flow. You need to have an all that resonates in the heart of the people that you're communicating to. You need to be able to deliver on your promises well and your systems for delivering whatever it is that you offer should be, they, sh they should be coned in and they should be able to be executed without you there. Now, when you build those things, well, leads, customers and offer a delivery system, when you build and systematize those things, it frees you up to be able to have the kind of time that you want. But you know what? You can't just show up in the business world and be like, Ed told me that I should just chill out. And then money's not attracted to that sort of thing. So yeah, you build those things. You build them. You avoid distractions, which most entrepreneurs are very distracted people. You avoid distractions. You build those well. And then you systematize those. I've used that word now three times. It's a very important word. You systematize those and then you create freedom. It's interesting how that works because right now our world, there's a lot of training right now in podcasts about freedom, but it's in its own sort of little vacuum. For example, I'll give you an example, like the law of attraction crowd. And by the way, there's some components of the law of attraction, which are perfectly acceptable, but the implementation or execution of it is normally completely off. Okay. So the law of attraction implementation execution sounds like this, sit around, think about money and money will just appear. That doesn't actually work like on planet earth. You know I mean? There's brain training is really important. Don't get me wrong setting your mind around something like, and then creating wealth are two different things, right? You set your mind around something so that you can implement strategies so that you can receive the, the result of the implementation of those strategies. And that's where a lot of people miss on that piece of advice right there. But when you put it together, that's by the way, the reason you get coached. That's the reason why having mentors is helpful. People who've been there, done that, still doing it. But yeah, I mean, that advice is, is essentially a mature set of advice to somebody who's is already an implementation. So yeah, that's a very good, very good follow-up to that question. I can think of a recent entrepreneur I know who vision board everything in their life and they wanted to have a lifestyle business. They wanted to be an, an Instagram influencer, all that kind of stuff. And two years go by and well, what are you doing with it? I'm, I'm still going to manifest it. They're still <laughs> manifesting. They haven't manifested anything, but because it's because there is a balance between the ethic and the implementation. I loved your example of, of, with the video games earlier because you do, you have to have the right thinking to be able to execute. I think it was Daniel, uh, was it Sean, the CEO of Alibaba. And he said, the new standard for anyone who works here is going to be 90,000 hours or 90, 90 hours a week. That's the new minimum for work ethic. And yet that's killing ultimately the person implementing. And so you got to have this, the sense of what's the right thing to focus on in order to get the right amount of leverage in order to be effective. Excellent advice. I love that. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. So Ed, talk to us a little bit more about how you take that discipline and that mindset 
And then how are you bringing that to God and stepping out in faith to find a partnership with him, not just putting the fish on your business card <laughs> or saying all the right things. That's great. That's great. Or the ba- the bumper. <laughs> Take put the fish in the bumper. By the way, somebody gave me a um, shoot. I was probably like 23. And for Christmas, someone gave me one of those little fish things you p- people put on the bumper sticker. And I thought about it and I'm like, nobody behind you is happy with you. Why would I put the fish back? Like, I, I thought if any, if you're going to put the fish anywhere, it should be in the front. Cause that's where you're like, no, go ahead. And when you no, go ahead, that's fine. And when you let someone in front of you and they look in the mirror, then they see the fish. So I thought if you're going to put one of those fish things on your marketing materials as a business owner, maybe make it after you delivered like a great service <laughs> or something. So anyway, I think I took a step. What, what, what was the question? So you said, Oh, walking with God, you used Joe in the question, a phrase that was perfect, which is partnering with God. Uh, I view my business, my life, my time with my family, leisure time. I'm heading to Disneyland on Monday with the family travel as as essentially as partnering with God. And it's really important distinction because most believers and certainly most believers in business have this sense that, so there's like church stuff over here. And then there's like business stuff over here. And I go and do this so that I can free myself up to be able to like really serve my church. And the church is getting better at this. And I don't, it's not my job to trash the church, but the church really in the last 40 years has done a, not a very good job of mentoring and training people who have gifts for leadership or business. So for example, if if you plop the 17 year old in the average church, who's got anointing for business and for leadership, even potentially national leadership the church will almost always turn them into a youth pastor or a counselor or something in the church sphere. But if you look, for example, at Ephesians 4.11, it says purpose of the church uh, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it says God has appointed apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And as long as you let the word ministry involves everything someone does in their life and not just in the church, You understand that, oh yeah, the job of the pastor, teachers, and train is to train people to be great in the world, okay? So fundamentally, I start with that idea that everything, everything in the world is discipleship. This is another really key component. Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and disciple the nations. Well, the church got confused about 40 years ago and thought that meant evangelize. See, evangelism is a small component of discipleship, right? That's sharing the gospel, which is important. Of course, it's important. But the church thought, okay, disciple basically means evangelize and follow up with people who just got evangelized. And it got turned into this small little category. But see, evangelism, sharing the gospel, and discipleship are so disparate. For example, discipleship is what we're doing right now. Discipleship is someone's listening to this right now who is being taught and trained and discipled in a really good way. Discipleship is the consulting that you do in a business to help a business owner. Discipleship is when a, when a, someone goes into a school board and really transforms a school so that they're teaching and training kids the right way. But discipleship is when somebody goes to Congress who's a believer and walks with God in the halls of Congress to enact legislation that's good and just and righteous. And if you look at the school world or you look at the business world, or you look at the government for crying out loud, and you don't see discipleship going there, that's because the church hasn't taught people how to be disciples in that sphere. So part of my job 
as a believing entrepreneur is to teach and train people to be disciplers in those areas. And look, if all we did was disciple government, we'd be in a lot better place than we are right now. And I don't care where you're at politically or left or middle or all over the place. I'm neither, by the way. I'm not a member of any political party. I'm a member of the God is awesome and America's great party or whatever that one is. Okay. The one that I'm just made up five seconds ago. Okay. So that's teaching and training and discipleship. Now let's go into the question that you asked, which is partnering with God. So if you think of church over here and business over here, it's difficult to partner with God in your business because if he's not interested in that, then why would he ever have anything to do with that? And so most believers end up shooting these prayer darts, Lord, please bless me and please give me success. And then they go to business and they forget about it for a little while until they ask those sort of prayer darts. But see, a real partnership is two people coming together in agreement around a certain set of objectives. And then those people go off and do the things that they're best at. Okay. So Paul said, look, Paul, I watered, I planted, Apollos watered, and someone else gave the, or God gave the increase, just like a farmer. So my wife has this beautiful garden right out the window and she plants these seeds. This is an amazing process to me. She puts seeds in the ground, then she waters them. And somehow, because of the DNA and the seed that God created, and because of magic or sorcery or whatever it is, okay? And I'm joking about that because it's amazing what happens. This thing comes out of the ground. And then this thing over here turns into a cucumber and this thing over here knows how to turn into a watermelon. And you're like, wait a second, they looked identical when they went into the ground, okay? That's what God does. God is a master at taking those things and turning those things into watermelons, taking soil and, and water and a seed and turning it into a watermelon. Look, I have no idea how that happens, but I do know it doesn't happen unless my wife puts the seed in the ground and begins to water it, okay? So partnering with God is putting a seed in the ground, tending it, watering it, allowing it to grow, and God lets it grow. And that's partnership, okay? So when you come into business, my whole purpose is to find out what God is interested in doing and then partnering with him on that. What I've found, interestingly, is when I start asking God questions about what he's doing, what are you interested in? What, what, what do you want to accomplish? What I start to find is that a lot of times he'll tell me or he'll say, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, well wait a second now, hold on. I just asked you, God, what you want to do. And he says, what do you want to do? And I had this legitimate conversation. He said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and he said, that's not the answer to the question. I asked you what you want. And I started to give the answer to the things that I wanted. So I started talking about a certain revenue stream. And then I started talking about impact. And then I started talking about the country. Then I started talking about things like education. And I started talking about media. And what I found was as I started describing these things, I was like, wait a second. Is that what you wanted to? You're telling me that I just put a list down that I thought came from me, but it was actually your list. This is totally cool because prop, uh, what is it? Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Guess what? When you delight in God, the desires of your heart actually are the desires of his heart. Okay. And see, God has made us these amazing, it used to be back when somebody was in charge of the manor, they used to call that person the Lord of the manor. Think about that terminology for a second. That's like a lowercase g God kind of thing. I'm not saying they were like big G God. I'm just saying like when, when you, they were in charge of something, they're like, that's the Lord of the manor, like the Lord. Oh my goodness. If you think about that for a second and remember that God is the Lord of Lords. Oh, okay. So that means that there's other Lords, right? That means that you're in charge of something and you're in charge of it means something. That means you have some authority over that thing. So when God says, what do you want to happen in your family? What do you want to happen in your business? And you go, what I would really like to happen 
It's a legitimate conversation I've had with God. I said, look, I really like to be worth $1.2 trillion. That's it. I just want to be worth $1.2 trillion because I figure if I had $1.2 trillion, man, I could really do some good in the world, okay? And I know there's trillionaires probably out there right now in some nefarious business. And I'm thinking, hey, if only the good people on planet Earth had all those resources, man, we could make some change really quickly. And I feel like that was this partnership thing where it was like, okay, cool, man, let's go do that. And then we get together and begin to make that change. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I probably will, but I'm not saying it will. What I'm saying is, those conversations ebb and flow. Now, what ends up happening in these conversations is you get this weird sort of Christian guilt thing that comes in. Why do you want to have $1.2 trillion? I don't know, because I want to have a private jet. Oh, that's not a holy enough reason. Who made the decision on that one? You know what I'm saying? Like, which verse are you going to quote for me on that one? Is that what your pastor said last week? Look, if that's what God wants, there's unrighteous people flying around with their name on side of airplanes, right? Is it only the unrighteous people that get to do that? Or do God's people get to have that kind of authority in the world too. You start to see a lot of the reason the church is missed out on a lot of the blessings we've had is because we just pass them on to someone else because we felt guilty. So my job is to just partner with God conversationally to find out what he's thinking about things, to forget about a lot of the training that I had that sort of taught me some other things, to forget about the, what the world may be saying, to certainly forget about what the news is saying, okay? And to begin to find out where he's moving and then to come along side and partner on those things together. You'd be amazed at what you can accomplish when you do that. Now, the actual implementation of it, and I'll wrap up the, this longer answer to your shorter question in 30 seconds. The implementation of that is you need to just spend some time with him, right? So maybe you take a day every week or every two weeks to just go and pray and meditate and read and be with him. Or maybe every morning you spend 30 minutes in a little meditation, some prayer, get your mind and then have a conversation with God. I've, I've got journals. You guys can see this because we're on Zoom. You can't see this as you're watching this. Joe and Pierce can see this. You can't see this. But behind me right here, there's 12 journals. This is six years where the journals where I'm just writing down what I'm hearing from God. And I'm not even very good at this. It's not like I was born with the ability to hear audibly from God. Uh, I just trained myself to be able to do it. And you'd be amazed at the things you hear when you're willing to just listen for a little bit. So much good things. I've been muted, but I've been over here saying preach. The one thing when you said as a consultant, you're discipling, like when that came into my ears, I was like, oh my geez, I feel like I have twice as much purpose to wake up tomorrow. Just with that one little bit there, because can we I, don't have a time. Oh, can I throw ahead. something in on that really quickly? This is, this blew my mind yeah. when I learned this blew my mind. So Genesis one and two tell us that we were created in God's image. So take, just take some of the things that you see God doing in, in, in the world. So God is the creator. He's the sustainer. Uh, he's the redeemer, right? So he makes things better. He's the lover. He's the restorer. He's the teacher. Okay. Now take those things that I just said and start to categorically drop things underneath each of those in business. So I'm going to give you the most crazy example. I just said God is the restorer. So things were broken and then he fixed them. What business model restores? Oh, you know what? Insurance does. So theoretically, if you are an insurance salesman, you're in the business of doing what your father does because God is a person who restores what was lost. And look, I've, I had a whole house burned down and USAA, my awesome insurance company, restored that house. I'm very thankful for that. I wasn't upset when they sold me insurance because it was able to restore that. And so we make this really weird distinction in the world. Where like, yeah, but that's just insurance. That's not really. But if you think about it in terms of your relationship with God, if you're a teacher, you're teaching because God teaches. If you're a consultant, 
you're delivering wisdom because God is wisdom. Like you think about this and you're like, wow, this is so cool. I was created in God's image and look at me, I'm doing what my father does, just like Jesus said he did. It's fascinating when you think about that. And it makes entrepreneurship really fun when you think about it in those categories. Amen. Ed, I want to honor your time. We're heading towards the end of as far as the time that we have together. So every episode, we have five questions that we ask all of our guests, our final five here. So I'm just going to shoot through those real the quick. The answer is yes, no, yes, maybe. Okay. I don't know. What are the, Give me the questions. Sorry. <laughs> I'm really curious for the first one who wrote that. The Question number one, what are your top three must-read books, not including the Bible? And these can be business, family, spiritual, even your favorite cookbook. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. So let me do, I'm going to, I'll do categories. All right. So I, and I didn't, they didn't give me the questions ahead of time if you're listening. So we're doing this live. All right. So I'm going to pitch my book, which is 21 day miracle, which you definitely do need to read. Joe, I know you told me you read it. That's in the non, in the nonfiction book, in the fiction category, I would recommend Isaac Asimov's foundation series. If you're a sci-fi fan, it's a must read. And if you're not a sci-fi fan, I think science fiction does something amazing to your brain in terms of just expanding your ability to think or your horizons. Okay. In the Christian book category, I can't not mention John Eldridge's wild at heart book. It's a phenomenal book. If you're a guy, if you're not a guy and you want to understand guys read wild at heart and John Eldridge has another book called Epic, which is a very short book and a brilliant understanding of the story that we live in. And I know you said three, but I gave you four. <laughs> no extra charge for that bonus. Last one, right? <laughs> no, I love it. I'm so glad you brought up the foundation series. I won't bore a lot of the audience with that, but I just finished the complete series this did year. Did you really? Oh, cool. I did after heard it the first time back in middle school, but yeah. So go and read all of those. They're all really good. Yes. <laughs> so good. Nerds, and not nerds alike. You'll appreciate <laughs> the foundation. All right. Question number two, you can send a note card back to yourself when you're first starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. What are the three pieces of advice you're putting on that card? Oh my goodness. All right. So the first one I put on there is fail fast next. So fail fast next is the first one that I would put on there. The second one, I would just say, it's going to be okay. Even if you owe a lot of money, because <laughs> the entrepreneurial journey, man, sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down and sometimes it rains, as they said in, in Bulldog. And gosh, what else? What else? Oh my goodness. I, can I send, can I just send them this recording of this podcast? That's a third <laughs> one. I would send them a recording of this you podcast. You put a link on there to the Eternal Entrepreneur can I, Podcast. Can I get two more wishes? How about that? Can I just send back three more wishes? Okay, go ahead. Question three. All right. Question three. How do you define success for yourself today? Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I think I would go back to that last question. If I'm walking with God, so there's mornings I wake up and I, I try in the morning to download my instructions from God. There's some days he'll say, just be a great dad today. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Cause I can do that. Or he'll say, yeah, you're just going to write this one project and then you're done. And I'm done at 10. So I think I would define success as doing whatever it is that God has led me to do in that day. And I'm good. That's good. We'll take it. Question number four, when times have gotten tough, what's kept you from quitting? Oh my goodness. And times do get tough, by the way. I know this interview sometimes makes it sound like everything's been great. I've been near bankrupt three times in my business over the last 14 years. And uh, that doesn't feel very good. Okay. I think perspective is one. Having been there before, the, the next time it happens, it's not that big. 
as near of a deal. We tend to stress about, stress far too much about things. And what was the question again? Because I think I just... What? No, you're doing good. When times <laughs> have gotten tough, what's kept you from quitting? Yeah, my wife, I think is a really... My wife has been amazing at just being very steady in those times and we'll be okay. But boy, do those times ever come. And then the other thing I would just tell you is there's... I believe there's moments that 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 refine your character and there's other moments that reveal your character. I think the first time I went through financial hardship, it was refining. God was breaking away some idolatry of wealth, frankly. The second time, that was gone. So it was more like revealing, oh, I don't really care about this as much as I did before. So yeah, I would just say, ask God whether he's refining your character or revealing it. And marry a good godly woman. Yeah, marry an awesome woman. Yeah, you should do that. Amen. We've talked about starting a, another podcast called uh, How I Failed at That instead of How I Built This, because uh, I feel like Every successful entrepreneur could have a whole episode on that. Question number five, what question should we have asked that we didn't? Oh, guys, you covered it. Are you going to ask me where people can contact me? Because that's the only, of that's course, the only thing of I have course. to say. <laughs> okay, we'll go right sure. into that. Just making sure, because that would be the other question to ask. So no, no I that... think we, we covered some good ground today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was cool. Well, Ed, tell them, how can they find out more about what you're doing, your books, all of it? How do it's, they get connected? It's funny, to you? if you're a podcast a fan, which you obviously are because you're, you made it to the end of our interview here. It's traditional for the podcast host to ask this question that Joe just asked at the end of the, at the end of the show, I should say, if the inter interview was good, sometimes if a guest totally stinks, you just pass right by that question. Cause you're like, forget it. But I assume it was okay. So the, the thing I was asking them and I'm like, making sure you're going to ask that question. Uh, so there's three quick ways you can get a hold of me, by the way, I'm going to do something Joe and Pierce for your folks that I've only, I only did on one other interview, the one that you heard me with uh, Sean Bowles. And uh, I'm just trusting your audience with this. So I'm going to give you my email address in just a moment. And it's actually going to give you mine, not a team members or anything like that. So I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear what God's doing with you in your entrepreneurial journey. So the first place, by the way, my home plate is edrush.com. It's the easiest website to remember. It's only six letters, edrush.com. And when you go there, you can sign up for, I have a weekly email that I send out, which is awesome. I'm biased, but that doesn't mean I'm not right. Okay. So edrush.com. The other, the other website is edrushbook. So it's basically the second easiest website to remember, edrush, but then the word book.com. That'll take you right to my membership page where you can get a copy of my book, 21 Day Miracle. You can also get a free login to a membership site, which has a bunch of videos and training and tools. That's totally my gift to your audience. Normally I charge for my trainings, but this is yours for free. So that's edrushbook.com. And then my email, write this down. It's coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G at edrush.com. That's coaching at edrush.com. Just email me. And when you email me, if you tell me that you heard me on, on this podcast, I'll give you two free tickets to my next event. Normally I charge about 500 bucks for my events, but you and a spouse or you and a friend or you and a business partner, whatever can come to my event on me. It may be a virtual event, depending on where we're at in the times and seasons. The last one was, but it might be a live event. I love doing live events. Okay. Those are my gifts to you. So edrush.com, edrushbook, and then coaching at edrush.com. So I'll give you three cool resources. Man, that's so good. I'm glad we asked that question. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ed. It's really been an honor to have you on and I hope we can connect again soon. Thank you, Pierce. Thanks, Joe. You guys are awesome, dude. It's been a blessing. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and leave a quick review. When you do, it helps other entrepreneurs find this content and benefit from it too. See you next week.